We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Daisy Oje Dominguez, an accomplished executive and dynamic leader, widely recognized for her ability to lead organizational transformations on the cutting edge of people and culture. A natural storyteller and team builder with a purpose-driven mindset, Daisy launched her career at Moody's Investor Service. She subsequently held leadership roles at the Walt Disney Company, Google, Time Warner, and Viacom. Most recently, she served as Global Chief People Officer at Vice Media, overseeing and guiding the end-to-end employee experience. Additionally, Daisy founded OJ Dominguez Ventures, a workplace strategy consultancy. All of the links will be in the show notes, so dig in. There's so much there to enjoy. Daisy's bold advocacy for inclusive, courageous, competent, and generous management in the modern workplace positions her as a sought-after speaker and thought leader in management, leadership, diversity, equity, inclusion, workplace culture, and the future of work. Driven to build workplace cultures rooted in human-centric shared values, and we're going to come back to that in our discussion today, human-centered shared values and purpose cultures that work for everyone while enhancing performance. Daisy authored Inclusion Revolution and has a forthcoming book. It's coming out in September, From Burnt Out to Lit Up, A Manager's Guide. She's been featured in publications like Harvard Business Review and Ideas.TED. Her contributions have earned her countless prestigious honors, and she's just amazing. So what I appreciate most about you, Daisy, is your transparency. You are willing to share how you continue to grow and what you're learning on your way, and it just helps all of us. You are really an inspiring example of generous leadership. I'm so grateful to have you here. Oh, thank you so much, Shannon. I'm thrilled to be here. So please share a little bit of your background. Yeah. You know, most most folks, um, when they see someone who's of Latin American descent that has, you know, I have, I have a slight accent, they think I was, you know, you were born somewhere else. And I actually was born in the United States. I was born in New York City to teenage parents. My father's Dominican, my mother's Puerto Rican. And they could, you know, they weren't, they weren't well prepared to raise a child. And I was fortunate that my father's parents offered to raise me in the Dominican Republic. So at about age two, I moved to the Dominican Republic and I grew up there until I was about 16. And then I came back to the U.S., New Jersey, to be exact. So I've done that opposite migratory pattern. And, and, and I think what's, what's unique about that from, you know, from my own identity formation is that I grew up with a very strong Latin American um, identity. I, I grew up being Dominican and Puerto Rican. Um, I also grew up going to an international school in the Dominican Republic. And while my parents, and I call my grandparents my parents, so I have two sets of parents, um, but while my grandparents who were raising me were working class, they invested everything that they had to send me to one of the top schools in the island. And that's how I learned English, which is another thing that would confuse a lot of my teachers when I first moved to the States. They were like, how do you speak English? I'm like, it happens. People do this outside of, of 
this country. But I had I had those different identity formations. I grew up with kids from all over the world. My best friends growing up were Danish, Israeli, Chinese. And having had that experience and then moving to New Milford, New Jersey as a junior in high school, where all of a sudden I was I was put in this box, right? You're Hispanic. <laughs> I was like, that is that is how we see you. You know, and while I knew that technically that that's what I was. What I quickly learned was that that box put me in this limited identity visual for people, right? I was like, I, you know, it was, I, I probably wouldn't, shouldn't have been able to speak English the way I did, but I did, right? I should have been poor, which I was, right? I was like, my family, my family was working class. I, you know, did, you know, probably no professional background. And I was like, I had, I had a little bit of everything in my family, right? It was, it was this limitation that was placed on me still my formative years, but after having had a full life experience of having been me. Um, and so that, that in many ways has shaped the way I see the world, the way that I seek understanding uh, across difference, and also the way that I've tried to find my place in organizations and help others do the same. Oh, I love, thank you for that background. That's so informative and really inspirational. And it also just, it hurts my heart to, to like see you in that place in New Jersey. But I also think that's, that is unfortunately how a lot of people feel. So like, what were some of the things that helped you to get to the place where you are now? Because that that's like a hard place to be as a young person, you know, wanting to fit in. Now you're getting relocated. So much is changing in your life. So what what helped you? Part of it was not knowing any better, right? When you're, you know, when you're an immigrant and like, you know, as, as Hamilton said, you get the job done. Um, you, you know, I knew I had to go to school, right? I knew that, you know, when, when a lot is invested in someone, you know, there's a lot of responsibility to do good and to, to deliver on that. And so, you know, I knew very clearly what the expectations were of me to be, you know, a good kid, a good student, um, and to get a good job. Right. So, um, you know, so, you know, that, you know, I, it was years later that I, you know, I added more context to that, but it was fundamentally, those were the three things I was supposed to do, you know, and so that helped. It also helped to have really kind and generous people in my life. You know, I um, I just recently joined the board of my alma mater, Bucknell, which is an incredible honor, you know, and I often talk about my journey to Bucknell and it began with Mrs. Smith, my high school counselor, who really just took a liking to me. And, you know, and I have a lot of friends, especially friends of color who had very bad experiences with their guidance counselors. And I, you know, I happen to have had a wonderful one. She, you know, she saw this foreigner in me, right? She saw this kid that was a little clueless, but also a kid that was, you know, I've I've just sort of always been kind and, you know, and, you know, and thoughtful and, you know, and she liked me. She was my neighbor. She actually lived a couple of houses away from where I lived in town. And she, she just invested in helping me figure out where to go to school, what was the best place for me, understanding that my parents could help, but not a whole lot. So I was going to need a lot of financial aid. All of those things she helped she helped me decode and understand. And, you know, and I've had a lot of decoders for me throughout my life that have been really instrumental. And that kind of decoding also comes with a lot of love and a lot of care and a lot of generosity, um, which is why I love uh, uh, the name of your podcast so much. And the same thing in university. I, I had also the incredible p- um, uh, privilege and honor of delivering the commencement speech at Bucknell a couple of years ago. And that's already a 
amazing, right? It's all the things like, I made. I made my parents proud. I, I was recently asked, like, what was a make you know make your mama proud moment? I was like, oh, when I delivered the commencement speech at Bucknell. But frankly, in addition to being able to see my daughter, my husband, and my parents, you know, in the seats, right in the front seats of this quad where I had 27 years earlier sat the exact same quad, I was able to thank two of the professors that had been instrumental in making me feel a sense of belonging and connection and in helping me find my place in what was then called a social justice college. And it was a residential college. Bucknell has several residential colleges that are intended to build community for kids their freshman year. And these professors, um, one has passed away, but three of them founded this college. And, you know, they were our professors that year, but they were also our advisors. And they were also, frankly, our friends and our mentors through those four years. And to be able to thank them and to have the entire quad, and it was a surprise, which is lovely, but to have the entire quad applaud for them that was a moment that I'll I'll never forget and it's you know and it's and and it is those people and those people also showed up at work for me right it was I often say the best managers I ever had I had at the beginning of my career you know then I had some not some not so good managers but but they were women they were white women they were women mm-hmm. of color they were women who really you know took me under their wings and taught me and cared for me and nurtured me and so that's that's how any of us make it. Yes, totally. And in your TED Talk, you speak about one of those leaders, and we might get to that today, but the person who's like, we need to hear your voice, right? You have something to say. Like, if you're going to be in this room, I want to hear what you think about. And what a what an empowering thing to hear, that, that they noticed that you hadn't said anything and like really trying to amplify you. And then the whole, like, we have to work through it. I love how you describe that. Because I can just picture like the, for those listening that are like, oh my gosh, that happens to me. Like I get frozen or I don't All of think us. that what I have to yeah. say is relevant. Yeah. I and mean, what would you say to those people? If we could just jump right into that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the story that, that you're referencing was in the early part of my career as a credit risk analyst at Moody's, where literally I was paid to have an opinion, right? Like what an amazing first job to have. I always talk about, about that. I was like, you know, I my job was yes, to to run financial models and analysis and you know and come up with insights and you know and you know trends for the organizations that we were rating. But fundamentally my job was to have an opinion to to make an informed opinion based on the data that I reviewed and analyzed. And then in a group of people of all levels, all ranks, all seniorities to say, I believe that should be an A or I believe that should be a C. And here's why. It was the best training ever. But you have to understand, I I came into this role you know, I've always been chatty, right? It's not, it's not that that's not that's not something that happened, uh, you know, just at, at Moody's. But you know, you come into places where you don't see people that look like you. You you know you you are you know you're junior, so already you're in a place where you feel kind of less than. And then you add all of these other identities that the world is telling you feel less than. And so I, I was paralyzed, right? I, you know, I was in these meetings, and and all of us have that. And by the way, we have those at all stages of our careers. I, you know, I. I've sat in the C-suite and I, you know, I've left meetings where I've been like, why did I say something that was wrong? Like what, you know, and, and I always ask myself, like, what am I afraid of? Right. Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? But in those days, I didn't, you know, I didn't have the tools to ask myself that I was just like, oh, and I had a few meetings where I didn't speak. And this colleague of mine, who is actually still a very good friend, um, he just, you know, he grabbed me by the side and, you know, and I, I remember feeling like. 
at first, like he came at me really strong and maybe he did, but it was just his style, but he was very direct. Like, like, what's up? Like, why are you not talking? (laughs) Like, what's going on? You do know we pay you to speak, (laughs) you know, and I had, you know, we don't always have these moments and that's that these are these, these aha moments where sometimes you can choose to meet that moment by just going inward and just saying nothing. I just don't want to talk about it. I'm going to walk away, you know? And I just had one of those moments where I just like, I blurted it out. Right. And I was just like, well, I'm afraid, right? Like, I'm afraid of messing up. I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. We all are. You know, I, I, I said something like, you know, it's just like, I don't know, like I'm not as smart as everybody else in there. I don't, I haven't had the same experience. And, you know, he just, you know, he, he had this, he, he, and this is who he is as, as a human, right? He, he just had this way of being able to like see through that and say, okay, like call the BS in it, but also call the truth in it. Right. And the BS in it was like, all right, you're, you're standing in your own way. Like you need, you need to like figure out what you need to do to get over it. But the truth of it was like, I also don't know what you're going through. (laughs) I also don't, he was able to, to separate himself, right? It's really hard to give feedback that isn't about you, right? Your identity, your experiences. And somehow he found it in himself to be able to recognize that there was, there was a part that he saw, right? And that's where he said, he's like, Hey, I get it. I've been where you are. And you know, you know, you just need to practice and talk and you'll get there. But also I don't get what it's like to be you. And I want to meet you where you're at. Right. So, you know, it's just like, so, so help me help you is essentially what he said. And, and so then he offered, which was the generosity of spirit that he had, he offered to be, you know, a bit of my mirror in those, in those meetings. He's like, the next time you're in the meeting, if you're feeling that, you know, like you're a little, you know, wobbly, you're not sure, just like, look at me and, you know, and I'll, you know, I'll give you a thumbs up or, you know, I'll, I'll be there to make sure that you don't mess it up. Um, and so that became our little practice. And, and it, you know, it, it didn't take long, but it was the first meeting we were there. You know, it was, everybody was going around and he's looking at me like, are you going to talk? Are you going to say something? And I was like, okay, well, I have an opinion. (laughs) Here's what I think. And then once you start doing that, Shannon, it's like building a muscle, right? Because once you do it and you see, oh, the ground did not like break under me, right? Like I still have a job. (laughs) I was like, people actually nodded in agreement with with what I said. Then you do it again. And then you do it again. And then you build that muscle. But it was, you know, it, it, it required an ability for me to speak my truth and for him to speak his, that is, I believe, which is also a generous act. Um, and we don't often see speaking our truth as generosity. We don't we don't see it as you know as an act you know that you know of of something that we're that we're doing you know that we're giving to someone. Um, but it is, and and that's because to be fair, right? Sometimes when you speak your truth, that can be dangerous. <laughs> that can that can put you in you know in in a weak place. And so many of us just shrink our voices, right? We just, we, we like, we shrink into small, small versions of ourselves and, and we don't share our truth, which is how we're experiencing the workplace, which is how we're experiencing people, which is what is good, what is bad, what is ugly. But if we don't share that, then it can't be fixed. And I used to tell my team all the time, I can't fix the things that I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 and I can't tell you, hey, this is a psychologically safe space. Everybody say everything because I recognize that it's not 
not every space is safe for everyone, but I can tell you where I'm coming from. I can tell you the space I'm trying to create for you. And I can't solve for something if I don't know your truth. Yes. And part of how I've heard you talk about that gift of truth is that, you know, for people to not be aware of the narratives that are being created about them or constructed and like they may not even know their brand or like the impact that they're having and yet they're making decisions or they're maybe not getting as far or not able to influence in the ways that they would ideally like to. And part of that is because they're not aware of how they're being perceived, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, that's perhaps... I think one of my most heartbreaking moments at work, um, and and they have been many, um, and and I'll, I'll I'll share one story. It was um, this is when I was working at Time Warner, and I was in the executive search space. And essentially, I, my job was to identify VP plus talent of color and women for the organization. And so, as a result, I did a lot of coaching for executives of color. And I don't know how this happened, but for some reason, there was a black man who was being let go and. And nobody would tell him. And so it fell on me. This wasn't my job, <laughs> Shannon. But I was like, it fell on me. And that's, that's, that's frankly the lack of generosity that exists in a lot of organizations. And it also comes from a place of weakness and lack of courage. And as I was speaking to him, I just, I, I was really honest with him. I was like, I have to tell you what your hallway reputation is. Um, you know, I, because I don't think your career is ending. And I know it feels like that. He had been in the company for a really long time. I was like, and you know, I was like, I know it feels like that, but no one's given you this feedback. And this is, this is what I've heard from senior leadership, right? And it, you know, it had to do with a lack of trust in his abilities to do his job and in his style. And he just looked at me like, no one has ever said that to me. I have received raving reviews, right? This is why performance management reviews drive me crazy because they're necessary, but you've got to do them right, <laughs> right? I have, I, you know, everyone gives me positive mm-hmm. feedback. I, this is this is all a surprise to me. It shouldn't be a surprise, Shannon. Mm-hmm. We should know, and we should not just know what people think about us. We should be in alignment with our leaders and our managers about what is working and what isn't working, right? There's a difference between being told, you're great with Mm -hmm. people. I am going to put three other teams under you. And you're like, whoa, 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 I like people, but I don't have capacity to manage three other teams, (laughs) right? You know, it's, it's that... That space, that being able to have that conversation, but we we give the positive feedback because it's easy because we like it, right? Because nobody wants to say the bad things. But when we don't give the constructive feedback mm-hmm. and when we don't own the constructive feedback, right? It's really easy to say, Shannon said this about you <laughs> versus mm-hmm. here's how I have experienced you. Here's, or and sometimes it is, here's, here's the narrative that I have heard about you. It could be true or not, but regardless, that is the story that people are seeing. So how can I help you, right? How can I, you know, how can we think about reshaping that? Or mm-hmm. for some people, this may be the end of the line for you. How do you think about that? So when you start your new job, you're aware of that and you're able to course correct what needs course correction. Yeah. Oh, that's so generous and hard. And especially if you get that reaction of this is a utter surprise. I'd never heard that before. You know, so you have to stay with them in the moment rather than thinking of like all the opportunities that they had in the past to, to receive something like that. And maybe it could have been resolved. But I think that's that's such an important thing. And that hallway reputation, I like the way that you describe that. It's like, what are people saying about us when we're not in the room? And not in a way of being paranoid, but more like just being informed of the impact that we're making. Because very often that 
that the intent that we have is different than the impact, right? There's like an unfortunate difference there. So just getting that kind of live feedback it is such an act of generosity. I so appreciate that. And I think you're just really conscientious about communication in general. I think that's something that's like a hallmark of your leadership. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on why being so conscious in how we communicate is a bedrock of being a generous leader. You know, I think silence shapes us and it also hurts us. Throughout my career, I witnessed, like I, you know, like I said earlier, in the early part of my career, managers who were willing to share parts of their lives with me, right? Things that worried them, things that that concerned them. And they never made me feel any less of them. They actually helped me humanize them. And it it also helped me feel that I was okay feeling those things, right? Because if someone much more senior than me is struggling with just being human, then it's okay for me to do that too. And to also figure out what are the things that I can, that I can address and, you know, and course correct and improve. And so, so over the course of my, my career, there were, you know, there were a lot of moments where I shrunk Shannon, right? Where I silenced my voice, where I didn't raise my hand when something felt just kind of off and, um, you know, and frankly, you know, was racist or sexist, right? Like there were, there, there have been moments in my career that I'm not proud of where, you know, I opted for, you know, for, you know, self-protection versus saying the things that I knew needed to be said. And then, you know, eventually I build what I call my bravery muscle, right? Eventually I started realizing, I was like, oh, as I get more senior, there's nobody else here to say these things but me, right? <laughs> like if I don't say it, then who is, right? I, I have been in positions with a lot less positional privilege and where that was a lot more dangerous. But I was like, you know, I, I, I with a little bit more privilege comes a lot more responsibility. So let me just, let me say a little more, a little more. And then it just, it, it's been years of shedding more light on who I am. And it began by writing, right? And starting to write stories about my childhood, starting to write stories about, you know, things that people may have known or not about me um, that deeply influenced who I, you know, who I was. And, you know, and that may not have been things that, you know, that most people would like to talk about having, you know, being the child of teenage parents, right? You know, growing up, you know, in a working class family, you know, like little things like that, that, there was just always this shame and this sense of, oh, you don't say those things. Um, I'll tell you, when I was at Moody's, I remember uh, I traveled a lot. I traveled throughout Latin America. I was eventually um, years into several promotions. I was um, helping rate bonds in Latin America. And one of the senior leaders on my team was complaining about having all the tips they had to pay when they went to hotels. You know, it was it was ridiculous, right? But they're just, just like, oh my gosh, all this money we spend and we don't get reimbursed for these things and I don't want to tip. And out of nowhere, I don't know, you know, it's like, you know, we, we, we exercise bravery in the strangest ways. I was just like, you know, my father's a doorman at a hotel. And so I know that those tips actually go towards people's education, putting a roof over their heads. You know, this is how people feed themselves. So, you know, I know that it feels like it's a lot of money for you, but for a lot of people, this is how they earn their living. And it was like, I really felt like, oh my gosh, the ground is going <laughs> to fall under me. Like it's, it's what, and you know, and, and it was a little, sh- it, it was a little shaming, but it wasn't awful. It was kind of a quiet moment. And, you know, and then nobody, everybody was like, oh, interesting, whatnot. But it was like, I said that and I was like, okay, nothing happened. And I spoke my truth and it is true, right? My father is a doorman who works really, really hard. And he put three kids through college, right? Like that's, that, that is worthy work. And so it's, you know, and that was in the early part of my career. Now I say all the things, right? I just, you know, I go into meetings and, 
you know, the, I think the last, I, I wrote about this in, in my book, uh, you know, we were, I was in a C-suite meeting and we were talking about authority and we were talking about, you know, it's like, we should be running this business like a dictatorship, you know, right. These, you know, these fragile employees, they're just asking for too much. Let's, you know, and, and it was kind of a, you know, it's not like they were going to do that, but it was a little bit of a joke. And I just paused and I said, you know, I grew up with grandparents who survived a brutal dictatorship. I have perhaps a not healthy relationship with authority, right? Um, words like dictatorships, like really, you know, get to me. And I know that we're not supposed to say that because that's a Gen Z word, but I was like, that's actually a triggering word for me. Um, so when we speak about this, you know, I think we need to like speak about it in a different context. So, you know, I've, I've had these moments where and, and do people's minds change? Maybe, maybe not. But at the very least, I'm able to put out something that others may be thinking, and it may help us think slightly differently because if I feel that way, others may feel as well. Mm, so true. And what courage to, to speak up and make people aware because I think sometimes it's just a lack of awareness, but like our words matter. They, they have, they create meaning. They cause people to think things. Sometimes that's used on purpose, like in marketing. And sometimes it's not like some of the flippant comment or sometimes a statement or a reaction, especially of a defensive reaction. You know, you, you may not be as thoughtful about how you're communicating, but I think the point you were making earlier around like with greater authority comes greater responsibility, which includes how we communicate, which helps us to shape the culture that we create. I know that's something that you're very passionate about and have been, you know, fully invested in is how are we creating inclusive cultures? Uh, so I just think those those are some of the things that don't seem like big things, but they really are big things. Um, I was just looking at... Well, you know, most things aren't, Shannon, right? Like we, we tend to think of like these, you know, you know I, I, I worked in media entertainment, so everything had to be about, you know, like these big events and amplifications and, you know, and just like what's, you know, what's, what's, what, what is this going to lead up to the next, next two, three? But it really is about those micro moments that we experience every day. That's culture, right? It is, it's what we say and what we don't say, right? It's who we give space to and who we don't give space to is, you know, it's whose comfort we sacrifice and whose comfort we're okay with not even thinking about, right? It's all of these moments. They shape how people see themselves. They shape what people model, right? They shape what people think is okay to do or not do in an organization. And so that, that, that's why, storytelling is so powerful because it's about shedding light on the things that go unsaid, but that everyone feels, right? It's the elephant in the room. And I, and I often talk about like the whispers and the screams and everything in between, right? Like, like, so like the, the screams we hear, right? The complaints, the, you know, the, the angry moments, we hear that the whispers, maybe we sometimes hear, but those are those moments of, you know, a little bit of pain and, you know, and, you know, and, you know, when someone gets dismissed in a meeting, when someone gets, um, when someone has their thoughts repeated, you know, and then their ideas taken by somebody else, right? Like those are those whispers. We all see them and we're all like, did you see that? Did you see that? Yeah. Right. And is anything going to be done about that? And when repeatedly there isn't, that's a signal, yes. right? And it's, these, and it's yeah. these, mul these multiple micro moments, these signals that we hear, and then there's everything in between, right? And they, they mm -hmm. come in and out. And I think that to lead organizations and to think about just managing people, we have to, you know, we have to be hyper alert 
to that. And then we have to like bust those moments when they happen. And the best, you know, and for, and for some people, let's just be clear, like some people just don't want to do that, right? Like that's just, it's too uncomfortable, but perhaps it's not uncomfortable yeah. to, you know, create a space where you're storytelling and where you are sharing your truths and moments that matter to your teams in ways that, you know, that again, you know, connect your teams in different ways. Like we can all find ways of busting those biases that don't have to feel that in your face or that aggressive, but that are ultimately about shaping the culture that I believe we all deserve. Yes, agree completely. And I think the way you started this conversation where you shared your origin story, you know, you shared just the highlights, but context so we can understand, you know, a little bit about what influenced your thinking and your personal life experiences. It's just so important. So the returns on demonstrating generosity in the workplace is something you and I completely agree on. Like it's just like this perpetual thing. Um, But you really talk about being human centric. A lot of what you've shared already is human centric. You focus on enhancing the overall well-beings of people. Like what what is it? Say more about that, Daisy. Well, I mean, I I love the fact that we we never used to talk about well-being work as much, right? We talked about health, right? There were always benefits. There were, you know, that that's always been part of it. But you know, the the overall well-being of a human, right? Which is taking into, you know, taking into consideration their sense of safety their sense of comfort, their sense of belonging. Also their, you know, their, you know, the health and safety of, you know, and and I mean safety in both ways, both personal and physical, right? Especially after COVID. That's, you know, these are components of, you know, experiences of well-being that we haven't traditionally engaged in and even built workplaces to address those moments. And what we've seen in the last couple of years is just severe burnout, right? Severe exhaustion coming from just all the things that were coming at us, you know, in the past couple of years. And so now, you know, I love the fact that we are addressing it. And and I and I hope that we don't do it from a place of deficit, right? From a place of we have to fix these things, but from a place of, well, let's just create conditions so that every employee's well-being is respected and valued. Because guess what? When our well-being is in, you know, is in a good place, we deliver better, right? We produce more, we create more, we innovate more, we care more, right? We collaborate more. Um, so that that to me is the ROI on well-being. And and generosity is a key component of that piece. Because you know, if I don't feel that the people around me are are being kind and open and generous with me. Well, likely I'm not going to be as kind and open and generous as I could be because there's always going to be a, a little level of protection, right? I'm just like, like, you show me yours and I'll show you mine, right? There's there's that constant, like, you know, this this is a dance that happens in so many organizations. I, I've tried to dedicate my career to creating spaces where that doesn't exist, where like, and and the way that it starts is, you know, you've got to do it. You've got to model it. So I come in this way. The way I'm talking to you is the way I talk to my teams, the way I talk to my peers, the way that I talk to folks I just meet. It's like, this is who I am. This is what I bring to the table. I have I have no hidden agenda. Um, you know, I I want to I want to do my job well and I want to create a space for you to do your job well. Like, can we do that? I think that's so important. And I know you recently took a sabbatical and really invested in this yourself. And that's part of what I was sharing about one of the things I appreciate about you is just your transparency, your willing to willingness to take us along on the journey, uh, which is really inspirational. And I, as I was reading your words, I thought this must have been hard to write, just to, to express that and share that openly. So, you, could you share a little bit about that, Daisy, and what that was like for you? 
Well, you know, I've been writing for a long time and, um, and for the last couple of years, I've always written a, a, a Sunday note to my team that was, you know, the highlights of the team, the, you know, company priorities, how to rally around them, but also kind of like what's going on in my life, right? And like many of us did this during the pandemic because we weren't seeing each other, but also I managed a global team. So like 90% of the time I didn't, you know, I didn't even share time, you know, time zones with folks on my teams. Um, so I've, I've been doing that for so long. And so that, that level of comfort of being able to share myself has been there. And then I've also done it on LinkedIn. Um, but I've also, you know, I've, I've also experienced backlash from that. And I've, you know, I've, I've experienced, you know, shame campaigns and all of those things. And frankly, I started talking about my radical sabbatical um, because I, in my goodbye note, when I left Vice, um, you know, usually when you do a goodbye note, you're like, and next I'm going to do this. Right. And I was like, I don't, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I literally was going to do a radical sabbatical. I had spent months working with my coach and, you know, uh, you know, rock goddess and, you know, and my family and saying like, I'm going to do a radical sabbatical. I don't know what it's like, but I just, you know, I am burnt out. I am burnt crispy. I just have nothing else to give. And I just, I can't even, and headhunters would call me and I was like, I don't know what I want. Like, like call me in a couple of months. Like I just, I need this time. And so in my goodbye note, I wrote, um, and I'll be taking a radical sabbatical and I hope you all do well. And I did that going like, Ooh, people are going to see that. And they're going to like read privilege and they're going to like, what's going on. Um, and you know, and not surprisingly, like a lot of people were just really sweet and thoughtful and like, wish you the best. Um, but immediately as everything happens advice, the, the letter was leaked and I started getting calls from reporters um, asking me, what is this radical sabbatical? What is this? And I was just so angry and a little burnt out from having been shamed in the past that I said, I'm going to tell my story. I'm not going to have somebody else tell my story. So the next day I wrote a post on LinkedIn and I talked about it. And the response was beyond anything I could have expected, Shannon. And it was, it ranged from Oh my God, I can't believe you're saying it. I've been on a sabbatical and I haven't, I haven't told anybody, right? From that shame that we all feel, that stigma, to like bravo sabbaticals. <laughs> like they're the best thing in the world. It changed my life. Um, some people being honest about I went on a sabbatical that was a forced sabbatical because I was fired, right? I was laid off like so many people, but it was the best thing in my life. It was just this beautiful energy about it. And that inspired me to just share more because I felt like we're not talking about this. And and we have this collective exhaustion that we're also not talking about. You know, the Surgeon General is talking about it, right? Like, you know, like people that we respect and value and research are talking about it, but we're not talking about it in our workplaces and in our communities. And so that's what inspired me to start writing about that. And it's what inspired me to, to write my book from burnout to lit up. Cause it, you know, I, and, and it, my book is, everyone thinks my book is about sabbaticals. I was like, it's not, you know, there, you know, it may be, or that may be another book, but my book is really about like, how do we refine, reignite our light as people managers, as people who engage with others, because it's the hardest thing to do, but it's also the most rewarding thing to do. And, and we just don't talk about it. We don't share our stories. And I'm being really honest. I'm sharing a lot of things that to your point, like when I write them, you know, I have a book coach and, you know, and she'll tell me, it's like, wow, that was a powerful story. And I was like, you have no idea how painful it was to just even remember that again. (laughs) Um, But I was like, but I'm going to put it on paper because it's real. And I suspect I'm not the only person that's been through something like that. And I want to share it and hopefully 
that lights a light in somebody else to share their story and to hopefully lighten them up a little bit. Absolutely. It's so relatable. And, you know, it might be something where you think, you know, I want to share my imperfections or I want to share what's not going well, but I actually think it's part of our perfection. And I think we're designed this way, right? We're imperfect and that's part of like what makes us beautiful, right? And so relatable. And so you're sharing your experiences. You're willing to say, okay, here's a way that we could go from being so burnt out and so exhausted. Because you're right, it is something that people can unfortunately all relate to. But how can we get back to being lit up again? You know, what are what are some of the things, what are some of the tools or the mindset or whatever it is that, that you're going to share with us? So I'm excited to get my copy of that. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm still writing it. So I'm still, I'm, I'm still discovering. Um, and also, okay, well, we'll have you back on our OG. Thank you. And, I, and also <laughs> to, to your point about generosity, I'm also discovering so many people who have been doing this work and I didn't know about it. So I'm also having fun amplifying their work <laughs> and sharing it out there. And I was like that. And, and when we show generosity, right. When we, when we deliver, it was like, you know, it comes back to you. You know, I, I, we never used these words where I was growing up, but I grew up with, you know, with a family that didn't have a lot, but that gave everything that they had. And, you know, and that there was always this sense of, you know, it was path, partly like Catholic religion and Latin American culture. It was a little bit of all those things, but it was just very much about generosity is who we are. That is, that is how we, that is how we navigate this world, right? In our, in our full imperfection, right? We're not perfect at it, but, but whenever I have something, you know what? Mine is yours. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I love that. And it's so true. I see that in your, in your spirit. So quick recap, right? There's a lot that you shared here, but for our listeners to think, how could I take some of what Daisy shared with me and apply it to my own life? Um, I have some notes here around just that, that that silence shapes us and hurts us. I think that's an important thing to say. Where am I not saying enough and where am I speaking up? Also your story about your mentors and people who were champions of yours or just helped you to have that courage and that bravery muscle. I also liked how you said build the bravery muscle, right? Every time you say that thing that's like, oh, but it just makes you stronger. And then you're like, okay, it's like things are still in place. And I'm I'm actually being more congruent with who I believe I am, my values. And then this human-centric leadership where you talked about safety and comfort and belonging. I mean, that's just so, so critically important. And then the last point you made around self-care and, and you know, knowing how to recharge your battery and making that a priority. Anything you'd add to that, Daisy? Um, no, that was pretty good. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it begins with the self, right? You, uh, I have... I have a good friend who sends, I mean, talk about a beautiful act of generosity, but Alison Turkis will send notes randomly um, uh, via mail, right? She loves that, um, with quotes and and notes of inspiration. And, you know, one day she reached out to me because she knew after a lot of things that were happening at Vice, she's like, you must be going through a lot. I'm reading all the press um, and I hope you're taking care of yourself. And, and I just, I started crying when I read that email and I said, you have no idea how, how valuable and, 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 you know, and just how warm, you know, how much, how much you warmed my heart by sending this note out of nowhere. And she said, I was like, you know, we, you know, you can't, you can't help others with an empty cup. And it was, and so I always forget those moments of generosity that, that remind me, I was like, I have to take care of me so that I can take care of others. Um, right. So my, I have a, a good friend that is training to be a wellness coach. So we talk about this a lot. And she asked me the other day, it's like, what is health for? Right. What do you want to be healthy for? 
And I said, I was like, I want to be healthy so I can give more, right? So I can have a deeper impact. And it's like, and if I'm healthy, I can do that better. I was like, and and sometimes we feel, right, that, you know, when we take care of ourselves is is just this solitary act or is this selfish act. And I was like, no, it's actually a generous act. Yes. Ah. Oh. Thank you, Daisy. And thank you to Jennifer Brown for connecting us. Thank you for investing your precious time with us, sharing your story. We are cheering you on and we love your work. So please keep sharing with us. And just thank you for being a blessing. Oh, appreciate you. And thank you for spreading this wonderful message. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.